Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Tonight Show. Coming up tensions are high in the Dáil as the Taoiseach accuses Sinn Féin of shouting down or suing. It's not the same as Ukraine. An investigation is already underway in relation to uh, potential war crimes. I think, may I speak? It's a very, a very clear and consistent approach from Sinn Féin. Shout them down or sue them. We're joined by the Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald in studio to react to those comments. Also talk about Ireland's response to the Israel-Gaza conflict and our party's relationship with the press. Plus, RTE Director General Kevin Backers discusses the future of the broadcaster, job losses, and presenter pay. You know, in the end, I think we have to be realistic about what the public expects us to pay. They fund us. And a motion to expel the Israeli ambassador is rejected in the Dáil. PDs have tonight rejected a motion put forward by the Social Democrats to expel the Israeli ambassador Dana Ehrlich. A separate Sinn Féin motion requesting the government refer Israel to the International Criminal Court over its actions in Gaza has also been defeated. Well, earlier this evening, there were protests outside the Dáil. In Gaza, 23 Irish citizens have left through the Rafah crossing. Sinn Féin President Mary Lou Macdonald joins me now in studio to discuss this and more. You're very welcome along Thank to the programme tonight. Um, let's talk about that vote to expel the Israeli ambassador, Dana Ehrlich. It was defeated by 85 votes to 55. Your own party's motion calling on the government uh, to petition the International Criminal Court in The Hague to open a war crimes investigation uh, into Israel was also defeated by 77 votes to 58. Your reaction to those defeats tonight? Well, look, um, the Taoiseach, the government have correctly identified the fact that Israeli actions, their, their bombardment of Gaza, which, as you know, has cost now more than 11,000 Palestinian lives, thousands of children uh, killed. Gaza now named the graveyard of children. The government has identified that these, this is not self-defence. Uh, the Taoiseach has correctly called out collective punishment and very, very serious breaches of international law. Furthermore, he went on to say that Israel's actions cannot be without consequence. And I agree with him. That's correct. So the question is, what's the consequence? And it seems to me, unfortunately, so far, and I very much hope that this will change, all of the propositions around consequence and holding Israel to account have been dismissed by the government. I have to say to you, Claire. I don't think that is a sustainable position. If uh, we are going to see this uh, awful, awful violence continue, the Irish government will have to move. What I want to see, just to be clear, is ceasefire. A ceasefire is the only way out, the, the only circumstances in which we can begin 
to resolve the issues that are very deep and very profound and save lives. But I fear that this will continue. Netanyahu's government has set its face against any form right. of ceasefire, and that is wrong. And Israel has to be held to account mm -hmm. for their actions. And a, and a full ceasefire is something that the government is also calling for. But we heard the assertion from Micheál Martin even today that to, the, the safe passage of Irish citizens from Gaza is proof of the need for diplomatic channels, for lines of communications at this very difficult time to remain open. So what do you say to that? Well, look, uh, I mean, working through an embassy or an ambassador is only one of very, very many diplomatic channels that are available to any state. And diplomacy is very important, uh, without doubt, Claire. But so is the fair and consistent application of international law. That matters too. And I think it's very striking, the contrast between the governments and the international community, community's reaction to Putin when he broke international, the, the uh, response was immediate. It was firm. It was correct. I absolutely support that. But the, but the Russian but, ambassador has, has stayed on uh, in yes, office here. Yes. He, he has not been expelled. H however, so sanctions were taken. Complaints, multiple complaints were made to the International Criminal Court. So you're left wondering, why is there that... Um, why is there that duplicity? Why is there that double standard I, I want to ask, uh, in, in, in that just, regard? Just, and I don't think just that's on use, Just on using diplomatic channels, yesterday you met with Thomas Hand, whose daughter Emily is believed to be held captive by Hamas. And during the statement afterwards, uh, you said that Ireland must make every effort and use every political and diplomatic channel to secure Emily's release and that of all hostages. Again, reiterating your point that full ceasefires must be called. But is there an incoherence in your stance here, using every political and diplomatic channel, yet to cut one of those channels off by expelling the Israeli ambassador and, you know, the knock-on effects of that, which would mean that the Embassy of Ireland in Israel would also be cut out of the picture, cut out of the equation when it comes to securing the release of hostages well, look, and the, safe passage uh, of the Irish diplomatic, from Gaza. The, the diplomatic channels here are multiple. Um, I, my own view is that the full force of the United Nations needs to be brought to bear on this situation. And I am very, very concerned that a, a, a posture by the Irish government that's very hands-off, that fails to act. I mean, words are great, but actions are necessary. I am very, very uh, worried that that approach doesn't enhance diplomacy. In fact, it damages it. Because uh, if, if the international community is to have any authority, any bearing, any influence on resolving conflicts like this and stopping the most egregious breaches of human rights and humanitarian law, yeah. then it has to act with authority and, and with you're consistency, say, you're saying, and that hasn't been the you're case. You're saying that words should have, you know, there should be consequences, there should be action. Yet. You know, the party itself was very muted in its calls for actually the, your, your stance was pretty much calling for a full ceasefire, but not going so far initially as calling for the expulsion of um, the Israeli ambassador. In fact, in your Ordesh speech, it wasn't in your, your, your printed speech, your published speech that you would say you would call for uh, Daniel Ehrlich to be expelled. And yet that's what you said. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that? every speech is checking and delivery. Our position. Why wouldn't every other word be, be in the, the, the printed copy, but not, not that our position, call? Our position and our priority, and it remains my priority today, and it will be my priority for the duration of this awful violence against the Gazans, is ceasefire. 
And I believe that we have to leave for every opportunity we can to get to the point of ceasefire. Uh, the, the ambassador, sending the ambassador home is not an end in itself. The whole point is here... Is that why it wasn't your motion? The whole, the whole point here is to exert uh, pressure on the Israeli government to stop their violence. We prioritise the referral to the International Criminal Court for this simple reason, Claire. The government have said that they are not minded to take action in respect of the ambassador. They have said that I disagree with them, but that is their position. Um, so therefore, we believe that they should, must be in a position to back other uh, uh, sanctions, other interventions, and really, they should have backed our motion this evening in I, respect I of the International you, Criminal Court. I want Court. to specifically ask you about what the Taoiseach said in the Dáil today and what were pretty fiery uh, exchanges, despite the unity and the consensus that we actually have seen in recent weeks across the Dáil on the issue um, of the conflict. Leah Radker saying you would, uh, if you were Taoiseach, you would hector people at high-level meetings, point the finger, walk out, hold a press conference, issue a press release and make yourself look good, but without achieving anything for Ireland or the Palestinians. What did you make of that comment? Well, I, I don't know how those comments shed any light uh, whatsoever or achieve anything helpful in respect of the very serious issue that we were discussing in the Dáil. Um, and I think there were just petulant remarks by the Taoiseach. It is always better in the Dáil if we can achieve a unified position in respect of Palestine. That's what's good for Palestinian freedom. And I think it's absolutely essential that we have uniformity, unanimity across the Dáil around the absolute need to apply international law fully, fairly and consistently. And unfortunately, and I deeply regret this, that is not what we are seeing now. However, I still remain hopeful that the government will advance their position and we will actually see actions, concrete actions from the government in Dublin to lead the way, in fact, Claire for other countries okay. in respect of doing what is just and right and fair. I want to move on now and talk about RTE releasing its strategic vision, its plan, basically, for cost savings at the organisation. Yeah. Do you think that plan that was released yesterday was radical enough? Well, I think it was just the first uh, release, the first uh, episode or chapter. Uh, I understand that there will be another uh, report um, in January. You know, at the end of the day, the proof of the pudding and all of this will be in respect of delivery. The, the absolute value of public broadcasting is unquestioned and, and uh, universally supported. The need for accountability with public money. Also the need for diversity within the media and, and for the state to be firmly in the corner of public sector broadcasting, but to ensure that there's a, a wide spectrum, you know, of views and broadcasters and those uh, providing uh, the service. Okay. And so all of that's in the mix. And ultimately, then we have to arrive at not interim funding measures, but we need to arrive at a sustainable okay. model. Let's, let's talk funding. about that. Um, the Director General, Kevin Backer, says he's been talking to your party about this plan um, as when it comes to future funding, you know, Sinn Féin needs to be in that conversation post an election. You may be carrying the baton on this one. So if you recognise that it needs a new funding model, is paying for Ortui directly through the Exchequer something that you favour? That My personal view is I, I think that's, that is most likely the, the way forward and it certainly tallies with the findings of the Commission. And why do you think experts that's went. I, I think it is best because it gives a level of, of stability 
it gives a level of predictability to broadcasting and the broadcaster. That, that's my, my own view. Is there I think, an issue at all with impartiality when it's directly funded through the Exchequer? No, I, I mean, have concerns about that. I, I think that you can, you can have ways, find ways. I mean, the BBC, for example, is directly funded and they have mechanisms to protect impartiality and to ensure that there is balance and fairness. By the way, there's multiple codes, as you know, as a professional journalist, to protect all of that. Um, so I, I think that you can have both things. You can have sustainable, predictable funding. Obviously, you want efficiency for that. Obviously, you want transparency and good governance. Well, that's the big question. Associated What's with the any spend? Money. What money is going to come from the exchequer in, RT, in order to keep RTE afloat? Well, there you go. And it's, it's not uh, an infinite uh, stream of money. There, there has to be value for money. I know that, the, that Kevin Backhurst has brought forward a number of proposals. Let's see... Uh, how they uh, how they work out? Would you would you prefer that this call was made um, ahead of an election? I mean, Catherine Martin said today that all options for reforming Ortiz's funding model are on the table, yeah. including a new media levy, including direct exchequer funding, uh, and she'd like you know to be the minister to see that one through. Okay, well, and if 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 she does and if she can, so well and so good. I mean, we'll participate in the public policy discussion. The important thing is that we get it right. I mean, I, I don't have a view. I'm agnostic as to whether it's this minister or a successor minister that makes the call, but we do need to get it right. And listen, just remember, uh, Orti has a, a lot of fences to mend with public opinion. Yeah, I just have a question around that. So if this decision is made by the current government, as Catherine Martin says she's, she's hoping to make by next year, will you abide by that decision? Well, I, I, I would be reluctant to have a, a big policy advancement made and then to reverse out. So you'd have to think very carefully uh, about that. I would hope that there will be a meeting of minds across parties, uh, across politics, as to what is the best. Party I, would, I think so. I think that would be best if achievable. But you've asked me the direct question, if an approach was taken that was not my or our first option, would you automatically return to the subject and, and um, overturn things. I think we'd have to think carefully about that. Say a because, media levy. Because Would you be in favour I, I don't, don't favour a media levy. OK, no, so if we had the case that revenue was collecting... OK, so, so we're into the realms of speculate ifs and ands. Uh, wh whatever the scenario is, we will meet it as it unfolds. And what we will wish to be, Claire, is very constructive and collegiate on this matter. This should be some... This is a generational call... I want us to get it right. Um, housing a key priority. Yeah. We heard it again at your Ordesh. Um, perhaps an unlikely cheerleader in your corner was um, this weekend the developer Johnny Ronan saying, we believe that a Sinn Féin government would be pragmatic on housing. And as developers, we don't feel there's anything to fear. Do you see a big role for private developers in your housing vision? Well, he's right in as much as we are pragmatic and we are talking to everybody. We're talking to builders, developers, uh, uh, housing bodies, we're talking to county council, we're talking to architects, planners, everybody I'm sure who is skin would have in the had, game. Uh, great things to say about uh, developers, given the and I'm sure Johnny Ronan has had brilliant things to say about us in the past. That's not the issue here. The issue is we have a serious crisis, a profound crisis. So you see and the government role has, of private developers oh, well, but, playing a big part but, in the housing vision. But, for but, but Claire, it's, it's never been anything other than there has to be public provision. The state has to be much more efficient, 
much more ambitious. We need pace. We need delivery from the state. But of course, you need developers and builders uh, building houses. That's never so been you're saying in clearly question. room for profit. Well, and, and they turn a profit. Yeah, of course, builders and, and uh, others, uh, we're not proposing for a second that every house uh, provided is provided by the state or is public housing. But we have to recognise that the state stood back for a very long time, left everything to the private market and consequently left people very seriously in the lurch. That needs to be fixed. The issue of uh, runaway rents equally needs to be uh, mm. fixed. So... This uh, will be a very ambitious plan from Sinn Féin. You'll have heard me at the weekend say this is our number one, our number one priority. And we will move heaven and earth to resolve this crisis because we have seen a lethargic failure of government in this area since the last election when we were promised all sorts. uh, Dara Bryan releasing the housing targets yesterday, uh, describing Sinn Féin's housing plan as cobbled together uh, post-budget and devoid of costings. Yeah, well... I mean, is there something to be said for Claire, really I, big on ambition? Claire, we can know I, the needs. We can know I, the can needs I just say, I, I am more than happy to allow the uh, public, to allow people who uh, live this housing crisis to make their own judgment on Darrow O'Brien and his lack of delivery and this government's lack of delivery. Okay. We, are, we are focused now on working collaboratively with everybody who has an interest in this. And we are absolutely determined to deliver at pace, at scale, on housing. Um, in the doll today, in one of a few angry exchanges, as we were talking about before, and we heard the clip at the top of the programme, the Taoiseach said, it's a clear and consistent approach from your party towards government. Other parties and the media, shout them down or sue them. Are you concerned the pursuit of legal action politically hurts your party? Well, I'm very mindful of the fact that uh, this seems to be a matter of controversy when it relates to a Sinn Féin public figure. That hasn't been the case when uh, others from Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and others have uh, uh, have proceeded with legal action. So I think there needs to be an even-handedness in this uh, and it can't be simply, you know, a a, a condemnation when when it's one individual. I stand by two principles. Number one, we need a free media. The work that you do, Claire, your colleagues, and is absolutely essential in an open democracy. But equally, a, a pillar of a democratic system is that people have a right to their good name. You can accommodate if, both in a system. You have to accommodate both. Um, and, you know, when, when somebody takes an action, remember, the action is taken in respect of corporate entities with editorial boards, access to mm-hmm. um, legal advice by professional journalists, who should know what where the line is drawn between right. fair comment, critical All comment, right. even but hostile you, comment. You know, the counter and argument defamation. to that is that there are other mechanisms in place that you don't need to go down the road of litigation. And actually going straight to the courts undermines the role of the press council, a code of conduct that was introduced politically as a way of addressing such concerns, Claire, as a way of just, seeing just to be clear. someone's right to their good yeah, name be sure, seen. Sure. So, 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 so what would you say to that criticism by that by going down the legal route and going down, which is an arduous and long and costly process for everyone involved. A pain in the neck, absolutely. All, if it's a pain in the neck, yeah. that's the question. So, why, why, would, why wouldn't you go so to the press I, 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 In as much as I know about these matters, I have never known a case where somebody just goes straight to the court. Bear in mind, before any of that happens, 
there is contact between the individual, the broadcaster or the publication. And what lots, about the press council, specifically of, around well, the press, the press council? council like, have you gone to the press council before? I haven't. And why not? I haven't. Well, I, I, in, in the cases, in the limited cases where I have defended my name, I've taken advice and I've followed it. And that's what people do. And what but about it, your but own in... advice or your own view on this, that using you know, mechanisms that are in place that avoid clogging up the but, courts, but Claire, that are costly Claire, and, and draining on resources Claire, all around, that Claire, there's a better people, way to do it, perhaps. Claire, there is a system in place and people are entitled mm. to operate within that system. And once you don't step outside of it, and by the way, I would defend anybody's right to do that. Of course, it's better if it doesn't come to that. And remember, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, even where criticism or commentary is robust and so on, that's part. That's just part of the whole political environment. But there is a line, and the line is crossed when the law is broken, right. and people have a right to to just, defend themselves. Just on the the legal action that was, because we're we're talking about this in, in the context of legal action initiated by Sinn Féin TD Chris Andrews against the Irish Times and individually against the journalist Harry Harry McGee. We had the press ombudsman Susan McKay saying she deplores this practice of suing individual journalists over public interest stories. What would your response to her be on well, my, well, my response to everybody on this is, first of all, remember that this is obviously a live action. And again, um, my experience has been that where live actions are being pursued, they don't become a subject of general commentary like that. But be that as it may, Chris has put out a statement. And if I've understood him correctly, and um, there has been contact with the Irish Times by his legal people to make it clear that the intention is not to pursue any individual and that there are mechanisms to make sure that that doesn't happen. That's as much as I know I'm not party to the case. So uh, all I can do is repeat, robust commentary, analysis, criticism, even hostile commentary, fine. But if you, if you choose to make a comment or to attack or a, a person's character, that person, irrespective of who they are, has the right to protect, to protect and defend. And their, you their mentioned, and, and rightly we've seen it within government parties, but briefly on this, you've mentioned that, you know, you've had government politicians who've also um, sued and, and taken publications through the courts. Do you think there needs to be a broader conversation politically on whether this is the right thing to do, whether it's something no, that I don't, I, I public don't. and political no. figures should engage in? See, Claire, no, I, I think there has to be a realisation. All of us have to play by the rules. That's it. And I, I, think, I think professional journalists know instinctively the line between honest, robust criticism and commentary and making assertions that are wrong, damaging to a person's character and reputation. And I think we need to be very careful here in a democratic society that we don't jump up and down. And that the press castigate isn't, isn't and an cast, adequate replacement and castigate. there. Well, the, the press council is a mechanism and the law is the law. All right, there we're going to have to leave it. My thanks to Mary Lou MacDonald for joining us. Coming up after the break, RTE Director General Kevin Backer sits down with Kira Doherty to chat about the broadcaster's future. Welcome back. A new strategic plan for RTE, which aims to reduce staff and cut costs at the broadcaster, was met with a mixed response. Kira Doherty sat down with RTE Director General Kevin Backhurst earlier today to discuss his plan for the future. 
Let's look to some of the commentary that we saw today on the airwaves and indeed in print media. There's one cabinet source who said to the Daily Mail that the strategy was light on ambition and detail. Is that not a fair criticism? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I don't think it's fair and it's not what we were trying to achieve at this stage. We always said we set out a framework for the strategy, which leads to a to the consultation where we want to hear from all interested parties and then into the detailed strategy which we published early in the new year and that's what we were asked to do and that, that's what we've done there. Um, in terms of the detail, we wanted to provide enough detail. Um, you know, it isn't all the detail that lies behind it but the detail that lies behind it needs to be properly interrogated and verified. We're working with the new era looking at the numbers for example. We didn't want to put out any numbers that we weren't confident in. Um, but this was always intended to be something that people was, was very clear uh, and easy to, for people to understand the main points of, this, of the strategy rather than a very detailed um, version at this point. But there will be a lot more detail in, in the new year. The media minister, Catherine Martin, said today that there's going to be a monitoring committee set up within her department. What is your reaction to that and what is your engagement going to be with them? Yes, no, I, the, the department officials had, had, had mentioned that to me and uh, I would expect them to do that. They need to be sure that we are delivering the changes uh, we said we're going to do, that we're delivering the savings we said we're going to do. Um, uh, and I welcome that. Look, we need to be accountable and I welcome very much the fact that they've committed to the interim funding as they did yesterday. Um, and I totally realise that, you know, the return in return for that, we need to demonstrate real change and real savings in the next 12 months. Do you think it points to a lack of trust? No, not at all. No, I think it's, I think it's uh, totally understandable uh, and I'd do the same thing if I was in her position. Um, if she hadn't asked for it, we probably would have volunteered it. Is the £40 million in interim funding that was promised for next year, is that contingent on you achieving those €10 million Euro worth of cuts? I don't think it's... Con well, I'm not sure about the redundancies. I don't think that's been mentioned. I mean, we, clearly that's a process that we need to manage very carefully. Um, you know, we do need to demonstrate the savings, clearly. I don't understand it's contingent on it, but I think it's totally reasonable that they have to be, um, they have to receive the proper confirmation that we deliver what we're going to say we're going to do. Um, but you know that that forty million, um, you know, we we will do everything we we need to do to to make sure that that can be delivered to us. So did already have the government over a barrel on this? No, I don't think so. Uh, like we had to, it was tough tough negotiations as you would hope and expect. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're over a barrel at all. I mean. You know, there were periods when I was concerned that were we going to be able to convince them and secure the funding. So 
Uh, it seems to be that some of the key elements of your plan for next year, whether you carry those out or not, the funding is coming. Well, I think, as, as the Minister said today, she needs, she needs us to demonstrate we're delivering those. I think she's confident we will deliver them, but I, I totally understand why she needs us to demonstrate that and to be able to say publicly that we have shown that we've delivered those. Um, you know, I would expect that. Okay, let's go to one of the other issues that you've called corrosive, and that's the issue of presenter pay in RTE. And you announced yesterday that no presenter uh, going forward would earn more than the Director General. That's a salary of 250000 We know that affects three presenters now in RTE. Have you spoken to any of them about this? Um, I've had some contact yeah, with uh, one or two of them, yeah. But I don't want to get into that. I mean, that's that's personal to them. Um, but I, I've been talking to them. But they're on contracts at the moment, so... You know, I also said that we would address this when the contract's finished, so we'll have plenty of time to discuss that um, when the contracts are coming out for renewal. But were they difficult conversations? No, no, they understood. Um, you know, it's never nice for, for individuals to be put in the limelight, that's why I didn't name them. Um, but uh, they were very reasonable and, you know, totally understand where RTE is an organisation and understand why we need to do this. Is there any expectation that they would take those pay cuts prior to the end of those contracts? I have no expectation of that. I haven't asked them to do that. Um, they have a contract. It's legally binding. Um, you know, and that, that in the end, um, you know, it's not something I've asked for. I think it's, I've got to be really clear that it's for when new contracts come up and that's the legal basis I can do it on. In terms of the figure, the 250,000, that's still in excess of what the Taoiseach of the country earns. Do you and the other presenters earn too much? Um, I don't know if I earn too much. Um, that's not a question for me, it's a question for the board. Uh, you know, I was offered the job on this basis. I took a salary cut to come here. Um, you know, my general feeling is, you know, I don't really believe in comparing what a presenter or someone in my position earns with the Taoiseach or the Prime Minister, for that matter, in the UK. I mean, that's a, something that people use. Now, you know, when you have been Taoiseach or Prime Minister, there are other things that go with that, including pensions and other payments, and also an afterlife after you do that, which reflects the fact you've been in a very high-profile job. So, you know, I don't think it's a straightforward comparison. Uh, I'm, I'm not sorry. I'm not saying at all. I'm worth more than Tishuk. He probably should be paid more than me, but. That's not a matter for me to decide. There was certainly this narrative when we all watched the Oireachtas committees that there was a fear, a fear by previous director generals that talent would walk mm -hmm. on their watch. We must do everything we can to keep talent. Mm -hmm. You don't seem to have that fear. No. no. Why? Because I want to do the right thing. I mean, I totally value our presenters and we have some fantastic presenters uh, at RT and there are some elsewhere that I wouldn't mind bringing in. But you know, it's really important to audiences that we have really high quality, they expect it, high quality, you know, top ranking presenters. We need to attract those kind of presenters to RTE. But, um, you know, in the end, I think we have to be realistic about what the public expects us to pay. They fund us. Um, and, you know, I don't want to lose particularly any, any of our top ranking presenters. Um, but I think in the end you have to take some tough decisions. Was it unfair that presenters and their salaries were published and other management, other members of the executive team, were able to keep their salaries private? I don't know if it was unfair. I mean, obviously I think it's the right thing that the leadership team now in RTE should also have our um, salaries published as well, and that's why we're doing it. Um, I could only decide on what I think is right now, and sometimes these things are not really even considered. And, but when you think about it, you think, actually, do you know what? We should be accountable. We should say these are the top executives in the company. 
we should say publicly what they're being paid because they've been paid out of public money. Let's look to 2025. Um, you made it very clear yesterday that other elements of your strategic vision would only be implemented if further funding was made available to RTE. What happens this time next year if that funding model hasn't been addressed and changed? Well, I think what I made clear was that we had based our future strategy on the recommendations of the Future Media Commission, which the government has accepted the main findings of, and that includes the level of funding for RTE and for other public service media in Ireland. So that was the starting point. We didn't want to make up a figure. We started with the recommendation of the Future Media Commission for um, what we looked like we wanted to, what our ambitions should be, if you like. And what um, was that figure? Well, the figure the Future Media Commission recommended was 300 million. Um, now, after that, 30 million is for a sort of contestable pot for public service media, and then there's money for TG Cara. So, you know, if you strip those out, there's a, there's a figure around two, just over 220 million, and then uh, I think it's you know the discussions have shown that it's fair. That was the recommendation was made a while back. So, if you index link that to the, to CPI. The, the figure is around 250, that's the starting point. So how much additional funding then will RTE be looking for from 2025? We're looking for what the Future Media Commission recommended and, and that's what the strategy is based on. Um, you know, and, and within that envelope, that would help us, that would enable us to pay for voluntary redundancies in the early years and then as we reduce costs in the organisation for that money to go into content and services for audiences. If that money isn't forthcoming, mm -hmm. what happens to your vision? Well, this vision is entirely dependent on, on future funding, and I think I made that really clear yesterday. You know, we, we can't just magic up the money to pay for this, and there are costs attached. If you're going to uh, pay for voluntary redundancies, if you're going to pay to invest in, in the RT player and in a new audio app, if you're going to pay for new premises in Cork, and if you're going to pay for an increase in high-quality drama and so on, children's content, you can't magic that money up out of, out of nowhere. So. You know, if we don't have the funding, we can't deliver the strategy, so we would have to develop a plan B, and that would involve not an ambitious strategy like this, um, but much more a strategy of uh, continued cuts to uh, what RTE can offer. And we look at some of the services that you are looking at, perhaps cutting 2XM, for example, or Plus One, given the savings that would be made there, are you not really just tinkering around the edges when it comes to the services that you could cut? No, I think we, we looked at the services. What I didn't want to get into is a sort of false war, which is give us the money or we cut really important services, you know, which has happened in the past, which is you know, we'll cut Lyric if you don't give us the money or whatever. I, I believe in Lyric, I think it's a great service for audiences. I believe in 2FM, which reaches uh, young audiences very successfully and has a great team. You know, and I think we need to back those services. I believe in RNG, which, you know, delivers a really important service to the Gaeltax. So we need to back those services. We need to back public service content, reach all audiences, um, not off, offer kind of, you know, false, false kind of victims, if you like, if you don't fund us. I want to be realistic. now. You're right, the services we said we will cut, they don't in themselves offer enormous savings, but it is about streamlining, streamlining the organisation and about particularly with, say, the digital radio stations. You know, we need to invest in podcasts uh, on a platform where young audiences are actually going and not in linear services. So we have some great creativity there, but it's about finding a different way we can deliver that. I'm just wondering, was there an opportunity here to have a very clear public service remit for RT? and was that squandered? Not at all and it depends what you mean by public service remit and the Future of Media Commission and the Broadcasting Act makes it really clear what that remit is and it is news and current affairs and it is culture and arts but it is... And it is 2FM? 
it is entertainment and it's reaching all audiences and it's being popular and relevant. And my view about public service media is we need to be popular and relevant to every member of the audience. We need to offer something fantastic for them. And that includes Dancing with the Stars and The Late Late Show and live sport, as well as investigative journalism and Irish language and arts and culture. These are all key parts of a relevant and vibrant public service media organisation. Uh, on Post, you may be aware, put out a statement uh, this morning. And they said that in 2017, when they put out their strategic vision for On Post, which was also going through financial difficulty, they took a loan from the government of 30 million. And now that they are back on their feet, they have repaid that loan in full. Why does RTE not get a loan from the government? Well, because RTE is a, is a public service. Um, we're not a business per se, I mean, we have a commercial wing. Um, so, you know, this is the way public service media is, you know, is funded, has been funded in Ireland. And, you know, it is about individuals who use it, paying for that service and paying for it as a public good in society. And, uh, you know, I think if the government said they want to give us a loan and we could pay it back, then fine. But then, you know, that money comes out of content or whatever further down the line. So, you know, it's, it's not something we looked at because it's not a you know, it's not a traditional way of funding public service broadcasting anywhere around Europe. Kevin Backhurst, thank you for taking the time to speak to us. Well, Fine Gael TD, Alan Farrell and Head of News with the Irish Independent, Kevin Doyle, have joined me now in studio with their view on the proposed new vision for RTE. Kevin, um, what do you take um, from that interview with Kevin Backhurst and indeed what he said on launching this strategic plan? Um, there's been a lot of criticism that it's, you know, big on style, low on substance, that there isn't much detail in it apart from this top line about 400 uh, redundancies. We heard from Kevin Backhurst that he was quick to reject that. Um, but, you know, overall, do you think it has meaning? Do you think it has the potential to be radical? Radical, I don't know if that's the right word. It, it has, I think, followed, the actual document has fallen into that trap, as strategic plans often do, of having lots of buzzwords, but being a bit shy on detail. And I know Kevin Backhurst would dispute that and did with Cura, but at the same time, you look at, they're going to save 10 million next year. But when you read the document, I'm not at all clear on how they're going to save 10 million next year. And that's a very big number to do in a very short space of time. If you're, we're now in November, next year is very close. Mm. So I think it is lacking some of that. Um, I guess in terms of presenting it to politicians, um, it will be enough, I think, to win over the government in terms of releasing the funding that RTE needs. Will it be enough to convince the licence fee payer who's withholding their payments? I'm not sure. Yeah, the big question now is because there isn't that decision being made on what fu the funding model looks like that's going to be heard cut. Catherine Martin saying, you know, all options are on the table and it's a decision that she would like this government to make. Before that decision is made, you're still in this situation that you're relying on people to pay a licence fee. Yes. Uh, that's going to be a tough task, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And, and there's no doubt about it that the damage, the reputational damage that was caused over the course of the summer with this controversy has made people pause. And clearly, um, no, a number of people have not paid their licence fee. I, I can understand that. I think it was flagged during the, the Oireachtas Committee hearing process. Uh, where people were speculating and that was later borne yeah, out. And those figures. people who haven't paid their licence fee yes. this year, why would they be paying it next year? Well, I, I think, you know, government has a, a body of work to do in order to 
decide, make the determination, um, hopefully with consensus in the Oireachtas. I think it's really important that we make this decision collectively because it is, um, you know, a, a, a multi-decade plan okay. that will I'm set out precisely what I'm just wondering, are all options public... on the table? That's what Catherine Martin had to say today. She said, you know, the idea of a media levy. So there's three real options. Exchequer yeah, there's funding, direct exchequer funding. Direct exchequer funding. There's a levy maintaining the uh, on phones and the like. And then there's a, a, a tax. Those are really the three options that are. They set are the out. options, but already, you know, you know, we had the Taoiseach raising questions over a media levy, saying he just doesn't think people would necessarily pay it. That's going to be issue, an issue like the license fee is, and there's also been a pushback on direct exchequer funding. So they're all on the table, but you're not all in favour of them. No, and, and really, it hasn't been debated. I mean, these these issues would be teased out by. It's the actually media been ruled committee. out the idea of exchequer funding. Uh, I, I, if you say so, I, I don't well, it know had that been today. Case. Isn't that the case when this the the recommendations came out for the future of media commission, Kevin? That the idea of direct exchequer funding was one that the, 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 that the government was deeply uncomfortable with, and actually went away and commissioned another report to to look at this again. And you know, it's it. I know, Alan, you're saying it hasn't been debated at the moment. It has been debated well yeah. over well over a decade yeah. now. And no one's come to a conclusion. Mm. And so I don't understand why the government can't now sit down and very quickly come up with the answer to this because there are so many reports going back to over previous ministers at least 10 years, if not longer. We're waiting on at one point, we were talking about a laptop levy. We have moved so far beyond the idea that a laptop levy is... Is there political appetite now to make a decision around the future funding, you know, quickly? Well... You see, that's the question because it is a highly risky time to introduce a new charge that the public are already set against in terms of the licence fee in the teeth of election season. And so we are going to have local and European elections next summer, May, June, and possibly a general election in October. No government wants to be bringing in a new household charge coming up to knocking on people's doors. And that's just reality. So I think what's actually happening is that the government realise they have a very dangerous political decision to make in a short space of time. So that's, I suspect, why they're not just pressing the button on it. All right, there we will leave that conversation for now. Uh, but coming up, a dull motion to expel the Israeli ambassador is defeated. We'll get the very latest next on the 23 Irish citizens who have left Gaza. Stay with us. Including one-year-old baby, Sarah from Dublin, uh, who departed through the Rafa crossing today. Welcome back. Tonight, TDs rejected a motion to expel the Israeli ambassador. Well, earlier today, 23 Irish passport holders exited Gaza via the Rafa crossing. Finnegal TD, Alan Farrell and Head of News with the Irish Independent, Kevin Doyle, have stayed on with me to discuss these developments further. Um, Kevin, very welcome news after weeks of, 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 of hoping that they may be able to escape um, Gaza, that Irish citizens and those with Irish passports, a number of them have managed to get through the Rafa crossing. Yeah, it's a big development because there had obviously been quite a bit of, we'll call it speculation, that Israel wasn't particularly helping to get the Irish citizens out because Ireland has been so vocal mm. and outspoken in relation to what is Israel's reaction since October the 7th. So I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Michal Martin was in Egypt this morning when this news broke. Um, there obviously has been a lot of back-channeling, a lot of um, movement in the background. And um, the Taoiseach tonight at the parliamentary party meeting um, actually telling Fine Gael TDs, Alan's colleagues, that there might be up to 30 
um, Irish citizens and their dependents, family members as well, who have got out across the Egyptian border uh, today. So it actually may even be a bigger number than we were led to believe earlier in the day, which would be great news for those families. Still then a small number who remain in, in Gaza. Mm. Uh, there's 35 to 40 um, passport holders as, as yeah, far I, as I we know. Yeah, I believe the total number was between 30 and 60. So that kind of ties in um, with the total number. But yeah, the Taoiseach making that remark this evening at the Fine Parliamentary Party uh, that up to 30 uh, citizens had made. made and any that. assurances on the, the remaining number of people? Because obviously that's not that's not everybody it is. So I, I had a conversation with the Taoiseach this afternoon on leaders' questions, uh, questions to the Taoiseach, which a specific question on his engagement with European partners in France last week, mm. which you may recall, uh, with President Macron. So uh, uh, Taoiseach made reference to having spoken to the Jordanians, the Egyptians, uh, the Palestinians, among others, uh, with a view to ensuring that there was a, a pathway to a resolution to get Irish citizens out. OK, uh, we'd be hopeful um, of that indeed with the situation as it, as it currently is. I want to get your reaction, Alan Farrell, to this vote to expel the Israeli ambassador. A chance, according to the opposition, to match words with action because we heard Simon Harris yesterday saying Israel has become a country blinded by rage, waging a war on children. Yet when it comes to follow through of what are really, really strong words and arguably a very strong, a, a strong uh, and unified stance in calling for a full ceasefire, um, according to the opposition, you draw the line at sanctions. No. So uh, let me let me let me just lay this out as clearly as I can. Uh, a, a, a dull motion has no legislative or policy effect. OK, so it's, it's like a, uh, an opposition press release uh, from the Dáil Chamber. And they're perfectly entitled to do it. They're perfectly entitled to set out their stall. Well, it's still a statement. It would still it, be a it, statement it, from It is government. a statement from, from Parliament uh, to government. And whether they take it up now is, is a different matter. But what I would say is that there were parts of the Dáil motions which were not acceptable to us. Firstly, the issue of the expulsion of the Israeli ambassador. Uh, in the first instance, the importance of diplomacy is being borne out right now, tonight, with up, to, with, to, with up to 30 citizens. Was that down citizens. to Dana Ehrlich? Was that, that down no, to no, the No, 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 no. But it was down to negotiations between various third countries, as I mentioned, the Jordanians, uh, the Egyptians, and indeed our own uh, government and no, most likely EU officials as okay, well. But not the Israeli ambassador. But the government. Israeli ambassador is the spokesperson for the Israeli government. And clearly the Israeli government will have had to arrange for uh, permission for these individuals to leave Gaza. I wish it wasn't the case, but it clearly is. So diplomacy is important in these matters. For example, Tanisht is going to be in Israel tomorrow. Had we passed that motion, I'm not entirely sure that he would have been welcomed. And, and at this particular moment in time, it is crucial that we keep the door open. It, it's not about agreeing with them. You don't have to agree in order to have diplomatic relations. The Russian ambassador is still present in this country. But it is important that if we have Irish citizens in Israel, Irish citizens in the West Bank, Irish citizens in Gaza, that we have a, the capacity to talk to them and to take them from the All right, OK. Uh, and very strongly, that is what we heard um, from government today. But the opposition um, really believing this is a huge uh, issue. It is one of consequence when we are speaking out so strongly on the matter. Um, other countries have, have, have done it. Um, Kevin, do you believe that there'll be fallout from this vote? Because to date, we've kind of seen dull consent Census. We have seen that kind of unusual 
cross-party unity to date? Yeah, I think I think it's a little insulting the way Alan calls a dull motion there because TDs risk getting thrown out of their parliamentary party if they vote against their party it's line on those. It's fact. Well, it's it's a bit insulting to say that if the doll had voted one way, it's meaningless. I think it does carry a mood of the people. Um, so the government won tonight, and that's fine, and that is the, the policy. Um, in terms of the fallout from it, there has been a unanimity. I think the government have used very strong words. Um, but I think it's very, under, it's very understandable what the opposition are doing because it's very human, but I think the government have acted politically, and that's why, as Alan says, Michal Martin is in, is in Israel tonight. All right, there we'll have to leave that for now. We will get more on that story, of course, tomorrow um, with Michal Martin's trip to the Middle East. But that is it from us. My thanks to Alan Farrell and to Kevin Doyle um, and to all our guests tonight from the late team here. Good night and do take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.